Hey, welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. If you're like me, you're soaking up every moment of this spring weather and spending as much time outside as possible after a year of living indoors in a turtleneck. But don't forget, even if you're fully vaccinated, you should still wear a mask when you're outside in public so people don't think that you are an a-hole. Let them figure that out themselves once they get to know you a little bit. As always, I'm joined by my producers, Svea Baron Reinstein and Adam Howard, podcast gals. We are seriously kicking the podcast doors down with our second season. We have a legend on the show today. Our very first sitting senator guest, Elizabeth Warren. You both know that Senator Warren is like a huge favorite of mine and our audience, but who are your okay, who are your least favorite senators? <laughs> I bet you it's a pretty big list. That's such a harder question. Obviously, these are not people we'll ever want to have on the show, (laughs) so we can burn them. Yeah, Uh, for sure. It has to be the ones that are universally loathed. I've given this a lot of thought, and I feel like on any given day, I could say Mitch McConnell or Ted Cruz or even Joe Manchin, but lately, the person who's been really getting under my skin is Lindsey Graham, because um, it's it's not just... Like, when he says things like you know, systemic racism doesn't exist because Kamala and Obama were elected or like when he said that thing about how he has an AK-47 because if there's ever like a natural disaster, he might want to mow down Uh like marauders in his neighborhood (laughs) or something. I just find myself being like, who is this for? Because at least with Ted Cruz, I'm like, you think you're going to be president someday and this is all moving towards that. Or like Mitch McConnell clearly wants to just die in office as majority leader but Lindsey graham it's like you just won in a landslide you don't have to do this anymore trump is gone so it just seems like he delights in just being a little troll like there's just nothing else there and that drives me insane like at least have a want that i can understand right 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 i don't know i hate like the stupid ones more like the tommy tubervilles (laughs) Who, like, don't actually know anything about government, but just, like, woke up sure. one day and thought that they'd become one of the most hundred influential people in the country. Sure. And, like, sure. why? Like, you're causing so many problems and you don't even, like, know enough about the job to, like, know how you're causing those problems. And, like, right. I don't know. Like, the Ted Cruz's just, like, want to be loved so badly that they'll settle for being hated. But I don't mm-hmm. want to... Like, he'd be so excited if we listed him right now, but I don't want to give him that satisfaction. <laughs> right. He has the tweet ready. Yeah. <laughs> like, the second best That's thing a... for him to being loved is to be hated. Right. That's such a good way to put it. He just cares about being loved so much that he'll settle for being hated. That's, That's so, so sad. It. Just, like, <laughs> so sad. Just, like, a like just when you, like, define a child in school as one that – as a child that behaves poorly – even though they, if they didn't, they'd start to live up to that. So mm-hmm. you have to be so careful how you characterize. It's just like that. Oh, that's so, you know what? I think that the most important thing that we can achieve with this segment of the conversation is that <laughs> Elizabeth Warren will feel okay coming on right after we <laughs> trashed her colleague. <laughs> and I think in both cases, She's going to be totally fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think she has a close relationship with either of those two. 
No, I don't think she has a close relationship with those two. So I feel good about it because, you know, you don't want to get totally like <laughs> you don't want to get totally railroaded, but she'll be fine. She's fine. <laughs> I'm so excited. OK, I'm so excited about this conversation. OK, we are going to take a quick break, but we have Elizabeth Warren coming up. Oh, and you are going to want to stick around after that because we're going to see how much we learned in a little women of the Senate trivia game. Oh, my God, I'm so Bad at games, but also ultra competitive. Damn it. Okay, don't go away because I have some handpicked ads coming up just for you. Joining me today is Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. You know, the senator from her passionate Senate floor speeches, her 2020 presidential campaign, and her signature progressive proposals like the two-cent wealth tax. And of course, her incredible appearances on Full Frontal. Her new book, Persist, is out now and draws on her personal life experiences to explore the possibilities for change in this country. Please welcome to the show, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Oh, my God, you're here. I see you. I'm so happy to see you. Thank you so much for saying yes to this podcast. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Okay. Did you, I have to ask, my first question is, did you write the book Persist based on me trying to get my internet to work today? Because <laughs> I did. Because, because women who persist get it done. That's what this book is all about. It's about women who persist. Yes, yes. Oh my God, we get the job done. Okay, yep. let's dive right in. Let's start with the book because you broke it down into six different sections based on your life. You're a mother, uh -huh. you're a teacher, you're a planner, a fighter, a learner, you're a woman. How did you choose those categories or did those categories choose you? Oh yeah, those categories chose me. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought about it this way. Um, yeah. My brother died a year ago. So sorry. From COVID. Thank mm -hmm. you. And it started to hit me that if we had had better plans, better policies, right. he might have he might have still been alive. Right. And I began to think about how policy hits us all so personally. Mm -hmm. Um it it touches our lives. Indeed, it can be a matter of life and death. And that in that sense, policy is personal, but it's also in the flip sense, who we are personally, the, the things we encounter, at least for me, are what keep me in the fights for better policies. And so I thought of it in each of those ways. I thought about how, how being a mother changes everything. And mm -hmm. not just in those Hallmark commercial ways. It changes everything if you're trying to work and you need childcare. Um, it changes everything when school shuts down. Right. And so I, I wanted to write about how we are affected by the decisions that get made in far off Washington, but at the same moment, we have the chance to affect every one of those decisions as mothers, as teachers, as fighters, as planners, oh, every bit of it. You must have been constantly thinking about the women just disproportionately affected by the pandemic, oh, yeah. oh, just yeah. being driven from the workforce. Yep. Yep. How do we gain back that ground? Oh, you know, this is the thing. 
this pandemic will have lifetime effects for tens of millions of women across this country, that we have this K-shaped recovery, mm-hmm. which means that those who were already doing really well did super duper really well during the recovery. You know, yay, we made a whole lot more trillionaires than ever before, and more people made billionaire than before. But also, what happened on the bottom half of that K? People who lost their jobs, people who were trying to work from home and take care of their children, people who needed someone to take care of their children because they had to go in. As I talk about in the book, childcare is right at the heart of it for women who are trying to build a life, who are trying to build a secure future for themselves and their children. And by golly, we've had enough of the lip service over, oh yeah, we're all going to do childcare. And the guys would also mm, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. And nothing ever really changed. So it's hard to find childcare. If you can find it, you can't afford it. If you can find it and afford it, there's a waiting list eight miles long. It's time for us, if we want women to be able to work, it is time for us to invest in childcare the same way we invest in other things it takes to be able to work. Roads, bridges, internet. We got to invest in all of it. Yes. It's basic infrastructure. This is infrastructure. Yep. Childcare, it's the foundation garments yes. of the entire <laughs> yes. of the entire economy. And just the sensible ones, the ones you've got to have, <laughs> right? Or oh. else mm, your clothes are just not getting it done. You're you know, t- you've You've got to have the foundation garments. I love that, Sam. I'm going to use it now. Oh, my God, that's yours. Yes, there we go. (laughs) No one wants to talk about the granny panties, except for me. (laughs) Except when you need them. (laughs) But this is the heart of it. This is why childcare has been treated like a frill forever. Like, oh, we're going to do all the serious stuff. And then if there's a little money left over, you know. That yes. the guys would think about investing in childcare, but think about how, oh my gosh, year after year, decade after decade after decade, all the guys in Washington, and they mostly were all guys, would get together and say, okay, we're going to do roads and bridges so that men can get to work. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, and this is a jobs bill. And what kind of jobs did it produce? Jobs for men. Childcare, I, I get it. There are working dads and, and God bless them one and all and those that, that invest. But let's face it, women are the ones who are disproportionately on the front lines here. Childcare is so women can get to work and it produces jobs for women wildly yes. disproportionately. And so part of what I argue in the book is that we not only need to make a national investment in childcare, mm-hmm. we need to make a national investment so that we are paying childcare workers commensurate with the right. seriousness of the job that they do. Mm-hmm. So that you're not making a choice between gee, do I stay in this childcare job or do I go make more money working the cash register at McDonald's? That's just not where we need to be as a nation. And when we make a big national investment the way we do in roads and bridges, we do that in childcare. We get childcare workers paid and we now can get more innovation in childcare. When I say innovation here, I mean places that open at six in the morning. 
Yes. Because for some workers, that's what it takes. I mean, places that are still open late at night. Doesn't have to be every one of them, but that you really have choices and that there are enough childcare slots for five-year-olds and four-year-olds, for after-school kids, but also for little babies. We've got to cover it all. What and I'm we hearing, can do this. like when you talk about it, you're 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 speaking in terms that I completely understand. Like you, what you want is a stable system of childcare. Yes. Yes. Like you want it to be open the hours that you need it. If your yep. job requires more of you, you need to know that it's there for you without question. That's that it right. doesn't that it doesn't close down on weeks that your child's school is also closed down. That's like right. it is open That's for you. Right. And it's dependable. Dependable. The same way you count on the fact that the highway that was open yesterday so you could get to your job yes. is going to be open again today. Solid and ground. And tomorrow. Under your Solid feet. Solid ground. Yes. I, I like that. You know, going back to what I talk about in the book, one of the reasons that this is one of the very first things I focus on mm -hmm. in the book, I felt this two generations ago, Sam, when I was a young mom, about what it was like to stand there in the driveway now, the babysitter just didn't come. Right. And you've got to be there. You've made commitments. You know you've got to make these pieces work. Mm -hmm. I tell my own stories in this as part of saying, not only do we need it, we need to make the commitment individually to stay in this fight to get it done. Right. Now, I know people who care about childcare have 8,000 other things going on. But this is why we got to stay in the fights together. We got to stay in it for each other. It cannot be the case that my daughter couldn't then get childcare. Mm -hmm. Now my granddaughter can't get childcare. Right. This is a problem that is getting worse instead of better. Worse. It's up to us to fix Are it. Are we going to see it? Is it going to happen? Are we going to see a national child care plan and a parental leave policy? Like, are we going to, is this, is this possible? You're telling me it is. We are, we are close. We got our toes oh. on the line here and we've got, we've got the determination to fight for it. By golly, if nothing else comes out of this pandemic, oh, it ought to be that we understand the importance of childcare. Having seen now enough Zoom calls where Little kids with no britches on are running, you know, through the background. <laughs> now, granted, those are my favorite Zoom calls. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they actually, they're a whole lot better than the other kind. But, yes. or, you know, you can hear the kid uh, retching somewhere else <laughs> or banging on the door to tell or whatever it is. But if we haven't learned from this, mm -hmm. how critical this piece of infrastructure is and how Dang, so many mamas have been piecing it together with, you know, a yes. bit of this and some glue and a glitter gun mm -hmm. and, a, you know, trying to hold all the pieces together. Totally. And that's why we need to make this investment. I think we could do this. I think we're close. You have said, if you show me your budget, I'll show you your values. If you were like launched here from outer space and you had no... <laughs> If you came here and looked at this country's budget without any prior knowledge, what would you think that our values were? I'd say you care a lot about big corporations mm -hmm. and fighting. Right. <laughs> you care a lot about rich mm, people. You do. And 
little children, eh, not so much. And just regular workers, right. not so much. I mean, that's the part to me, Sam, that really is so amazing. I also talk about in the book, not just the things we need to buy, like more childcare and more investment in in public education and more investment mm -hmm. in post-high school technical training, college and canceling student loan debt. I also talk about how to pay for it. Right. Because it's exactly your point about if you came from outer space and, and we had to explain to this person who landed, we'd have to say, so just so you understand, we all pitch in money together to kind of build the things so we all have opportunity mm -hmm. going forward. Persons say, great. So like how much does the average person pitch in? And we would say quite rightly, well, every year it's about 7.2% of your total wealth, every family pitches in in taxes. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, I get that. Great. That's, you know, that's how we build this stuff. Yeah. Except for the top one-tenth of one percent. Right. Those those billionaires and and big time millionaires, they're pitching in about 3.2% of their total wealth. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you explain? That the children who can't get childcare, that the kids who are sitting in third grade classes with old textbooks and 26 noisy kids in the classroom mm -hmm. and uh, 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 no school nurse, right. that those kids are subsidizing ultra-millionaires, yeah. billionaires, and now even trillionaires. Well, now you're having to explain to an alien, like, would just like those people, though, they have really creative accounting Practices. Exactly. <laughs> and, but the rest of us let them get away with it. Yes. I mean, because let's face it, Sam, there's a whole lot more of us than there is of them. Yes. Yes. Well, how would your two cent wealth tax talk about oh, how that? I love this. <laughs> hey, how would that help teachers? I love talking about taxes because oh, me too. I'm from Canada and we accept yep. taxes in a way yeah. there. <laughs> that yeah. No one accepts them here. So, yeah. so, so here's how the, here's how the wealth tax would work. Mm -hmm. It says your first 50 million in assets, <laughs> free and clear. Sure. So don't worry about it. But your 50 millionth and first dollar, you got to pitch in two cents. Okay. And two cents for every dollar after that until you hit a billion and then it's a couple of cents more. Sure. Okay. So what that would mean, and just so you think about it, a wealth tax it's just like every homeowner pays. Homeowners pay wealth tax. Mm -hmm. They pay a tax on your real estate. Only for the billionaires, it would be on their real estate and on the other ways they hold wealth, like the stock portfolio and the yacht and the Rembrandt and the gold bars, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. <laughs> so you pay this wealth tax every year, this two-cent wealth yeah. tax. And the amazing thing is, if that's all we asked them to do, it would produce about $3 trillion over 10 years. Trillion with a T. Trillion so with hot. a T, girl. Oh. Trillion with a T. And here's the thing. So what could you do with that kind of money? Universal child care mm -hmm. for every baby in this country. Universal pre-K for every three-year-old and four-year-old in America. You could Put literally hundreds of billions of dollars into upgrading every one of our public schools. We could put money 
into technical school, two-year college, four-year college, make it all tuition free. Mm-hmm. We could put money into historically black colleges and universities, make all of them tuition free, support the students who go there. And we could cancel student loan debt for tens of millions of people and still have money left. Everything you're saying is relaxing to my ears. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Relaxing, but invigorating, you know, kind of like a mint scrub, you know, don't you think it's, it's both. You're sloughing off all of those layers of garbage. (laughs) Like, how do you get people? How do you, because I do think people have awakened to that somewhat, at least, you know, you even have now, even many Republican voters are like, maybe, no. Maybe I am okay with the rich paying a little bit more of their share. Looks like I'm not going to turn out as rich as I thought I was. (laughs) Now I might be okay with it. Actually, it's funny you would say that, Sam. So it turns out that roughly about 62, 64, two-thirds, somewhere Mm -hmm. right in there, percent of Americans want to see a wealth tax. And that includes Democrats, independents, and Republicans. Mm -hmm. In other words, people across this country get it. It's the folks in Washington who are saying, la, 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 I can't hear you. My ears are full of campaign contributions, and (sighs) I don't want to hear that at all. I don't want to use that three-letter word that starts with a T and ends with I feel like it's such a disconnect for me when there's, you know, I mean— generally consensus on an issue and it just doesn't get past that those barricades you know in washington like it's the people are saying we accept we understand we want this please give us this please take action on guns please we we're into this wealth tax that you speak of why can't what is in the way there what's clogging it up I mean, oh, come on. Yeah. Well, it, never mind. Corruption, corruption. money. <laughs> I mean, awful. let's face it. Who, and I talk about this in the book. Yeah. Who has the loudest voice in Washington? Uh, the folks with all the money. Yeah. The folks who hire lobbyists and lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, to get to make their voices heard. But like I said earlier, there's more of us than there is of them. Yes. And, and that's a big part of why I wrote this book. It's about. This isn't an abstract debate. Mm-hmm. Things like like getting childcare. This isn't like, oh, wouldn't that be lovely in some alternative universe? Right. No, this is like what we need right now, this minute. We need it in this nation, yes. and we need to start building it. Please roll out the blueprints, and let's start getting this done. So the urgency of the moment is upon us, and 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 the what I'm I'm trying to talk about in this book how personally we're touched. And what we have to do is we turn around and and turn that into the persistence Mm -hmm. in the fight because we are so close. We have made childcare a national issue in a way that even five years ago it was not. I do feel like we cannot squander. Oh, exactly. The way to say it. That's right. Don't squander this moment. We are on top of it. We lived this collectively. We saw it in our workplace, our friends, ourselves, our sisters, everybody. And that we do this 
for personal reasons. Yes. We do this because we saw it with people we love and people we care about. We see, we see strangers struggling mm-hmm. and it hurts us. And we use that pain. We use that concern. We use how tough this past year has been mm-hmm. in order to stay in the fight and not just to make change, to demand change. To demand change. And I love, I love that you're saying that. And I do feel like, because I'm an employer of people. And so I'm always learning what people need and trying to adjust to that. Like we, you know, we didn't really have a robust uh, parental leave program until someone on staff got pregnant. And we were like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We need to. <laughs> we have to create a policy here that makes sense. That is something that I would be proud to present to the world. And so, but it it shouldn't. It's great if employers can act and make things better for their employees. But it is. It should be a national. It's an ag- yep. a national agenda. This yep. is what government is for. Exactly. It's how together we can build more opportunity in this country, mm-hmm. opportunity for mamas, opportunity for childcare workers. And ultimately that translates into opportunity for our babies. Right, right, right. I feel like something's coming down pretty soon from the Biden administration, like a pretty yes. big package. Yes. And yes, like, yes. I don't want to, I don't know anything I, about it. I don't, but I'm excited about big, it. Be excited. Okay. A, be excited. But also, we need big, big, right? So think about this. One of the good things, we've already done kind of step one, mm-hmm. and that is the American Rescue Plan. Yeah. You know, this $1.9 trillion package that just passed. One of the things that happened is we're putting it together. The Biden administration has just uh, been elected, and they, they're working to figure out, okay, what do we need to put in this? Mm -hmm. Vaccines. Yep, definitely. Let's put lots of money into vaccines. You bet. And so talking about different things, more money into our hospitals. Yep, Mm -hmm. for sure. Let's do that. And I started talking about, along with others, uh, childcare, childcare. And um, people said, childcare? (laughs) Wait, what? Mm -hmm. And We started in Catherine Clark as Congresswoman from Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, another Congresswoman from Massachusetts. We got to put more into child care. Patty Murray from uh, Washington State, Mm got to put money into child care. Rosa DeLora. Uh, You'll notice what's similar about all these people in Congress Mm -hmm. that I'm mentioning. Uh, Yeah, I'm sensing a trend. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All women who said it is really important that we shore up this childcare system. Mm -hmm. If we're going to, we need to treat this as an emergency. And it it actually started during the Trump administration and we got some money in, but just not nearly enough. We really needed about $50 billion. And guess what? We hung in there and with what the Biden administration put in, Trump administration put in 10, Biden administration put in 40. We got our $50 billion. And it's permitting childcare centers that had closed to reopen. Oh. It's permitting childcare centers that could take just a few kids to be able to take more kids. It's permitting more childcare workers to be rehired who'd been laid off. It's, it's, it's like watering where all these plants had kind of fallen over and now they're coming back to life. Oh. And as that happens, 
that's 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 the reminder of the power we have. That's oh. what we did for one year. Now what we've got to do is lock this in mm-hmm. that we are going to make structural change. We're going to have a childcare system that we can depend on, not just fight this fight year by year, right. but it's going to be a system that we can depend on every single year. Like you said, solid. It's always there. You know it is there. I know this is a podcast and people can't really see the face that I've been making, but my face is like, it's like when you're having just an exquisite meal, my face is almost <laughs> pained. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's, it's but so, in such a good way. It's yes, just yes. vital. Okay. Well, how, how are you going to, okay. Question. How do we address tax avoidance? <laughs> <laughs> Which, We're going to do this. Uh-huh. Like, how do we get people to who should be paying their taxes to pay them? Okay, okay. So I got a plan for that. I'm sure you do. Guy, love a planner. I do I love too. A list. I do too. You know. Okay. So and that's that's why I talk about in the book mm-hmm. the importance of being a planner. Yes. You want to get things done. You got to have a plan and. If you want to hold elected officials accountable, mm-hmm. my view is you need to make them show their plans. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And yes. then you've got a way to hold it up and say, did you at least get out there and fight for what you said you were going to? Mm-hmm. So I think it's all about, I think this is really important. So let's talk about taxes. Okay. First part is a wealth tax. Yeah. Second part, I'll just throw it in, is something called a real corporate profits tax. This is like for the Amazons mm-hmm. of the world, of FedEx report billions of dollars in profits and pay zero in taxes. And this one says for these big corporations, more than a hundred million dollars in book profits, what they report to their shareholders, you got to pay seven cents across the board. Right. Okay. 7% on that. Okay. So that would bring in another $2 trillion. So we've got 3 trillion from the wealth tax. We've got about 2 trillion from this. And then Third leg on the stool is better IRS enforcement. What's going on today is just shameful. It has been just decimated. So the Republicans, you need to do a whole show on this one, Sam. I do. do. Listen, no one wants a call from the IRS. I don't (laughs) deny that. I get that. However. (laughs) Why is it, however, if you're living in a poor area, a rural area, a community of color, you are more likely to get a call from the IRS than if you are living in one of your seven homes or out on one of your three yachts. That's the part that drives me nuts. So what's happened is the Republicans systematically for a decade now have cut, cut, cut IRS enforcement. Mm -hmm. And here's the trick in what that did. It didn't have an impact across the board. It means that the IRS has audited largely the people that are cheap and easy to audit. And that's poor people. It's people getting the earned income tax credit. Mm -hmm. They get these letters from the IRS that are terrifying Terrifying. to them, terrifying. And that is a big part of where IRS enforcement today is. IRS is barely scratching the surface on where real tax avoidance takes place. And that is among the multimillionaires and the billionaires. So my plan on this 
is to say, we're going to do two things with the IRS. One is we're going to give them a whole lot more money. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But the second part is to say, instead of kind of this yearly budgeting, and then sometimes the Democrats are in control and sometimes the Republicans, is that I'm going to set up, I want to set up an independent mandatory funding stream that goes straight into enforcing tax laws uh, against billionaires. Okay. And it turns out the estimates for what we could do, if we just ratcheted up a little, mm -hmm. is we might be able to collect eh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $1.8 trillion more. This sounds good to me. I'm mm -hmm. into this. And I feel like no matter what happens, we'll still have private citizens who are able to build their space fleets. Yes. They're not going to be <laughs> bled dry. <laughs> you know, that's the part that really gets me. When, when these guys say, oh, my gosh, you know, the American dream, you know, this is awful. Sure. How could you do this? You really want to say, first of all, uh, go back to those original numbers. The 99% in America is paying about 7.2% of its total wealth in taxes every year. Mm -hmm. The top one-tenth of 1%, this tiny little bit above $50 million in assets, they're paying less than half as much, 3.2%. But the other thing is you impose a two-cent wealth tax. Remember, those great fortunes are still growing. Yes. They're growing at 6%, 8%, 10% a year. If you knock off two cents, three cents, they still grow. They just don't grow quite so fast. Right. And in return for that, childcare for every baby in America, cancel student loan debt, mm. give kids a chance to go to college without taking on any debt at all. Dang, oh, that's how you build a future. That is. Well, let's talk about the minimum wage a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're just talking money. It's just like mm -hmm. money talk with us. Mm -hmm. We have a show now. We have a, I'm mm -hmm. pitching a show to CNBC for us. We'll be ready. Okay. Do you think that members of Congress who fight against raising the minimum wage could live on it for of course two not. days in a row? <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, this is, this is actually a part of what our government has done through the years that it's like, whoever could have wanted to be here? I don't care what your politics are. Mm -hmm. So here we are, a country that has not raised the minimum wage year after year after year. When we recognize that, but let me put it this way. When, when I was a girl, my daddy had a heart attack. He was out of work for a long time. Mm -hmm. We came right to the edge of losing our house. Mm -hmm. And my mom who was 50 years old, never worked outside the home, went over to the Sears mm -hmm. and got a full-time minimum wage job answering phones. That minimum wage job saved our family. Right. It was a time in America when a minimum wage job would keep a family of three, my three older brothers were gone by then, out of poverty. So she could cover a mortgage, the utilities, and put food on the table. And then when my daddy got back to work, they kind of worked their way out of debt and stabilized things. Sure. 
Today, a full-time minimum wage job in America will not keep a mama and a baby out of poverty. Right. Think about that. It will not rent a two-bedroom apartment at median cost Mm -mm. anywhere in America. I don't just mean in New York City or San Francisco, Mm -hmm. anywhere in America. So we're saying to to our fellow Americans, hey, listen, kind of the baseline is that you get out there and work your butt off and you're still in poverty. Right. No, that's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's like it's it's like how we all tell great stories, and we're like, "Here's a good news story about a GoFundMe mm-hmm. that was started for someone's yeah. cancer oh. treatment." I'm like, "This is horrible. This is the most. This is I, awful. I actually in the book talk about the GoFundMe stories and what that means in terms of healthcare. Yeah. That one of the that that literally hundreds of thousands of people are on GoFundMe to try to deal with the unmet costs of, of cancer, mm-hmm. of ALS, of lupus. I, I mean, it's just one after another. Yes. And I, I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at those pictures? Yes. They just, just tear your heart out. Of course. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to be that America. We can be an America that says when you get really sick, we're the America that says, tell you what, we're all going to pitch in some nickels so whoever gets sick is covered. And you just concentrate on taking care of your baby. Right. You just concentrate on taking care of your ailing grandfather. You just concentrate on getting well. Right. And I do think that there's a deep well of compassion here. Yes. You know, there is. People really yes. want to help each other. There is a really interesting, um, I'm not saying that people are not like this in Canada, they are, but there's more of a social safety net there. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to kick in as much or in the same way. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. And that's why we need as a compassionate people to build a stronger social safety net together. It's, it's back to the theme of this book. Policy is personal. Mm -hmm. It's about our individual stories. It's about being a mother. It's about being a daughter. It's about being someone who's a caregiver. Right. And how we need to build policies that make it possible to, to care for each other and to, and to build opportunity for our kids going forward. That's why we're here. It's I, it's good that we're on the compassion tip because I did want to talk to you about like how often <laughs> did you have to call out your colleagues on their reckless COVID behavior <laughs> in oh the last God. year? Because Rand Paul, just like super spreader event, just following him like like the the dirt cloud follows Pigpen. Like what in the well, world? And the thing is, in the United States Senate, we have to go in in person to vote. Yeah. And, you know, now most of us are vaccinated. Those of us who want to be vaccinated are vaccinated. Yay. But the idea that somehow this had all been turned into a political statement. Listen, bud, you cough on me. 
I don't care what your politics are. What I care about are your viral germs. Sure. Get away from me. Just, and also just kind of the self-centeredness of all of it. Yes. You know, because that's the thing about, about public health. We do things, again, in part to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. We get vaccinated for everything. I'm not just talking about on on COVID. Partly because there are some people who can't get vaccinated. Yes. Some children who are still too small, Mm -hmm. little babies, uh, uh, people who are taking chemotherapy, people who are immune compromised. We get vaccinated to protect ourselves, but we get vaccinated to protect each other. So I'm I'm big on let's let's do that. I'm I'm big on that too. I'm going to join you in that crusade. I Good. can't believe how many people. <laughs> we got to do this. We have too many people saying the quiet part out loud, and yeah. not enough. Anyways, <laughs> well, yeah, we need to say the loud part out loud. Yeah, <laughs> get vaccinated. What has it been like going to work in the Senate since January sixth? Oh, yeah, I, it was an armed insurrection, mm-hmm. Sam. Mm-hmm. And the intent of it continues to shock me at a deep level. Mm-hmm. The whole notion that there were elected officials, people of, of some note, people of some responsibility mm-hmm. who were furthering the lie that the election had been stolen, that Donald Trump was the rightful president of the United States, mm-hmm. that all those lawsuits were started and, and turned out none of them had any basis in fact. They couldn't prove anything. And still, Elected officials, senators, yes. were standing up saying, "No, we're gonna, we're gonna what? We're gonna overturn an election? How do you a face those people? Election? How do you how do because, you do it? How do you do it? Because at that point, it's like the ultimate. In we just don't have a shared sense of why we're here. I mean, I get the difference about liberal and conservative about progressive. We have different views generally about the role of government. But I didn't believe that we had different views about whether or not we abide by a lawful election. Right. Or different views about whether we encourage armed people to come in to the Capitol to try to stop the 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 recordation mm-hmm. of the electoral college votes and it's like you think you can't tear things any further right but it it tore things further there are people who said things right around the january 6th that i just incredible uh-uh, i i i don't want to be your co-sponsor on something over here because there's something bad wrong there. Yeah, something. I know what's in your heart. I know what's in your heart. What does accountability look like for social media giants like <laughs> Facebook, who helped yeah. spread that so much disinformation in the last, yeah. well, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. 
I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I, I'm not going to even claim this is all the way to accountability. Let me just start with, they need to be broken up, Sam. Mm. It's too mm-hmm. much power. Too much. It's too much power in a single hand. And you can look at that from an economic point of view um, uh, and how it permits them, uh, uh, folks like Amazon, uh, Google, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook, to have unfair competition. It's also that you think of it in terms of if you fracture it, uh, these companies, you and I have the ability then to pick different providers, the same way you can with your phone service, right? right? And the kind of phone you have. You can pick from different ones. And by golly, a little competition on phones, they offer you more cool stuff, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of something like Facebook, they could offer you more privacy. That's what I want. That's right. They could offer you more truthfulness. They could offer you more transparency about how the things that get fed into your uh, into your computer, how they got selected, right. and let you set the parameters on what you do and don't want. So I want to see this as there's not just an effect, one person kind of pulling all the strings in our economy and our democracy. I want to see us go back to one of the the things I think we do well as a country Mm -hmm. is when we set up more competitive opportunities, we actually can create better stuff. And I think we can do that in this space as well. Now, that didn't answer your question. No, but I loved it. It tells you a direction to go. I love that direction. And my final question of the day is going to be the most intrusive question of all questions. And I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Would you feel comfortable sending Bailey to a doggy play date with Major Biden? Yes or no? Yes or no? (laughs) No, I'm not there. I'm just, I'd want to talk to Major's mom and dad first. Check it but out. but I think as long as uh, as they were supervised, okay. that it 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 would be possible to make that happen. Okay. You know, I you, you say this. I just flew down to Washington a couple of hours ago, and uh, I rode to the airport. I was sitting in the back seat. Bruce and our son were in the front seat, naturally. So I'm in the back seat with sure. the dog, mm-hmm. and he was over in my lap asleep on nice. the way here. So. It, it does make for a very protective mom. Oh, you're a very good doggy mommy. That's very right. Good. That's right. But, but I think I think Major may have been unfairly targeted in his... Uh, I think they'll play sure. very well together. I think so, Successful too. Successful play I date. I think so, too. That's right. Thank you so Everyone much. Everyone plays well with a golden retriever. Always <laughs> such a pleasure and a delight to speak with you. Your oh, book is incredible. Good to talk to you. God, your ideas. They unspool my brain. So you know it's but it's it's about what we can do it's it is about persistence and it's as i wrote this book i thought of it as a chance to talk with a lot of other women who have and men but lots of women who've been through a lot over this last year and that we persist and we come out stronger on the other side we're ready to make real change i love it so much 
Thank you so much. Good to see you. You have a great day. Good to see you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh, wow. That was great. Oh, God, that was great. All right. We just learned a lot more about Elizabeth Warren, but she's just one of 24 women in the U.S. Senate, some of whom we know and love, some of whom we wish we didn't know, and some we could stand to learn a lot more about. So in this next segment, Svia and I will compete, as all women truly should, to see who knows more about these impressive and not so impressive legislators. I'll say it. Okay, Adam, what's the first? Oh, God, I'm so scared. I'm always scared and delighted by trivia. I hope the first okay. question was just how many women are in the Senate because I just learned it's 24. <laughs> 24. Which is a record. 20. And that's something to be happy about. That is um, something to be happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, representation matters. So these are going to be a bunch of questions. All are multiple choice. So you have okay. a 25% chance of getting them right. Okay. Okay. Which sitting female U.S. Senator has passed the most legislation? And your options are Debbie Stabenow, Amy Klobuchar, Patty Murray, or Kirsten Gillibrand? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that is a good that's question. That's a really good question. I'm going to... Hmm. No, Sam, on please, after say, you. <laughs> no, I was going to say Amy Klobuchar. Wow. She's Salad passed 35 bills, which is yeah. a huge She's number. That's like one of the most of any. Huge. She's very accomplished. And, you know, just the other day, we were all talking. I was talking about salads with my family. I'll just never forget that she ate <laughs> salad oh, with yeah. a comb. Legend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, legend. <laughs> we stand a legend. Yeah. I've, I mean... never, I've never wanted a salad that badly. <laughs> I was trying to explain to the children how that worked because yeah. we were all we were all like collectively laughing at this restaurant <laughs> review for this place that is sort of nearby <laughs> because someone on Yelp got like they were like the delivery man brought a salad but no utensils and when I was like where are the utensils he was like just eat it with your hands and I was like you don't have to eat it with your hands Amy Klobuchar taught me you Whoa. can just dismantle a comb and go for it what was the context? Like, why did she use a comb in the first place? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I mean, is it even, it is so, it looms so large in my imagination. Yeah, is it yeah. even true? <laughs> is it even true? Right. Anyways, right. I hope it's true because it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Okay. The next question okay. is, which senator won their 2020 campaign by the widest margin? Joni Ernst in Iowa, Susan Collins uh-huh. in Maine, Jean Shaheen in New Hampshire, or Cynthia Ooh. Loomis in Wyoming. Cynthia Loomis, oh. Wyoming. She won seventy three percent to twenty six percent. Wow, that is Wyoming wow. for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Do not be and a Democrat in Wyoming; it'll be painful. Officially, is the first time I've ever heard the name <laughs> Cynthia Loomis. <laughs> name recognition yeah. is really big. I'm sure a lot of her Senate <laughs> colleagues feel the same way. Sadly. Yeah. Is that is it bad that I admitted that? that no, I she's, she's like, new. Who? I mean, she was just elected okay. in 2020. So you're, it's fair for you not to know that name yet. Okay, uh, thank you. Next question. Which one mm-hmm. of these senators has not been played on Saturday Night Live by Cecily Strong? Mm, Susan oh. Collins, Marsha Blackburn, okay. Dianne Feinstein, or Kirsten Cinema? Oh. 
Can I have the list? May I have the sure, list sure. again, please? Yes, yes. <laughs> and could you uh, use the list in a sentence? <laughs> could you tell me the answer in the question? So the question again was, yeah, which one of these senators has not been played by Cecily Strong on SNL? Not been played by Cecily Strong. Susan well, Collins, okay. Marsha Blackburn, Ugh. Diane okay. Feinstein, or Kirsten Cinema? I feel like oh. maybe Marsha Blackburn. She should have played oh, her good. by now. I feel like she'd be very good at playing her, but she has she played would. everybody else. Her Susan Collins okay. is very funny. It's very, uh, very good. Do you know that I got another cat and the cat's name is Susan Collins? Have we discussed this on the podcast? <laughs> no. or the the at cat all? has a full name and it's Susan Collins? Her name is Susan Collins. Okay. Yes. That's really funny because Julia, our editor, her cat's yes. name is Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> what? We have- yeah, upgrade, I would say. <laughs> I didn't know that. <gasps> is this cat like very well, indecisive and like weak-willed or something? Or? Definitely. Yeah. She has trouble jumping. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a second cat was a huge negotiation in my household <laughs> because we already had the one and my husband is not, he's not, he doesn't hate the original cat, but he also <laughs> doesn't love the original cat and sure. would really prefer a pet-free life, but I'm really into cats. And so we've had a long negotiation for a second cat. And he was basically like, look, if we're getting a second cat, you better give it a name that really amuses me and <laughs> makes me laugh every time I hear it. And so we settled on Susan Collins. Honestly, yeah, yes, we settled. She's actually a great cat, but her name makes us smile every time so mission accomplished he's terribly allergic to her just as we as a family are allergic to susan collins that is so, so everything everything comes full circle yeah what year did women finally get their own restroom off the senate floor 1962 uh, 1978 1987 uh-huh. or 1993 oh i think it was 1993 i do too <laughs> yeah 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 I would have even actually, if yeah. I was just taking a wild stab, I would have said in the 2000s. Oof, so, yeah. <laughs> we Yikes. are very good at holding it. Yeah. Diane Feinstein <laughs> was elected in 92. So she's been there long enough to remember not having a bathroom there. Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. Actually, she wild. can't remember it anymore. And we're going to have to oh. cut that one. <laughs> oh, boy. I still remember when people could smoke on airplanes and the seat rests had ashtrays built in. Mm. So I feel I feel that. Next one. Which of these senators has the highest approval ratings in their home state? And this is all based off of 2020 data. Amy Klobuchar, okay. Lisa Murkowski, uh-huh. Maria Cantwell, mm. or Maisie Hirono? Oh. Hmm. 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 I want to say I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab and I'm gonna say Maisie Hirono. I was also gonna guess that because I feel like what do people of Hawaii have to be that upset about with her? <laughs> the answer is Amy Klobuchar. Actually, she has fifty six percent approval, so she's really killing it. Good for her. Calm yeah, and all. she is loved. She is loved. So this is the last one, and this is like a bit of a weird one, and you may want to like write this down or take some time on this one. <laughs> um, but <laughs> oh, god! I, this is like a, I just wanted to try something a little different. You're going to match the senator with their astrological sign. 
Oh, no. oh my god! Three, okay. three okay. options. I, I just made it three to keep it a little simpler. So your options okay. are Susan Collins, Joni Ernst, and Marsha Blackburn. And your astrological signs are Cancer, Sagittarius, and Gemini. Okay, Joni. Maybe you want okay. to have some Susan music Collins. playing over this. <laughs> Susan Collins, Joni Ernst, Ernst, and who else? Marsha Blackburn. Marsha Blackburn. Okay. Marsha Blackburn. All right. And the signs are, I am writing this down. Cancer, Sagittarius, Cancer, and Gemini. Sagittarius, Gemini. Mm. I don't know how you feel about astrology stuff. I don't know anything about astrology, so okay. I'm going to give this to Sam. Mm. Sam, it's all you. For the game. For the game, boy. I, I Okay. I'm only going to, I'm going to start with one. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong about everything. Sure. Even though I put no stock in these whatsoever of course okay <laughs> susan collins must be a gemini <laughs> <laughs> as a gemini i'm offended by the fact that you said that with such certainty <laughs> like don't you dare put that woman in my Fine. category then then i don't then i don't then i don't know there's just a duality a duality <laughs> to a gemini okay who's the gemini marcia blackburn which i get because she seems mm. very moody and that is that is on par with Gemini. Okay. Joni Ernst is a Cancer. Okay. And then uh, Susan Collins oh. is a Sagittarius, which I don't know anything about. My second guess would have been Susan Collins as a Sagittarius. Do you mean Senator though... Susan Collins or the cat Susan Collins? <laughs> the cat Susan Collins. <laughs> cat Susan Collins is a Leo, I think. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous, but that's a fun question. Even though I totally blew it. So you're embarrassed as a Gemini, as a Gemini <laughs> who's m terribly moody. I don't see any evidence that you're a moody person. Am I? Am I just like missing the mark? It's all or you're just off like the pod. It's all off pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off pod mood swings. <laughs> Wild off pod mood swings. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! You just hang up from the pod and you just throw your equipment exactly. in the Kick water. The mic over as soon as the recording is over. <laughs> Those bastards. <laughs> oh god well okay that was great i hope you liked my podcast if you did let me know in the comments if you didn't you know consider hate listening in the future seriously though please rate review and subscribe very important to subscribe to full release and Apple podcasts and keep sending your questions to full release at sambi.com they might even be featured in a future episode tune in to full frontal with samantha b this Wednesday night, May 12th at 10.30 p.m. on TBS for a very special episode. Paul Frontal wants to take your guns. And if you need even more Sambi, my God, you're an addict. There's always additional full release on Stitcher Premium. And we'll see you next Tuesday for another full release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by Hitech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B. Welcome back to Full Release. I want to talk to you about taxes exclusively for the next 45 episodes. <laughs> That's the theme of this yeah. season. <laughs>